and turn to Mark chapter 11, which is on page 1016. Mark 11, page 1016, and we're starting from verse 27. For those of you who are new, maybe you're just visiting, we're in a series in Mark's Gospel, and um, we're in a part of Mark's Gospel where Jesus has just turned up to Jerusalem, which is a pretty significant moment. And I'm going to do a little recap later as we get into the theme of this passage. Um, But uh, we've called this section um, the house that God built. So Jesus turned up to Jerusalem, he's been to the temple, and this is the little bit that happens just after he's been to the temple and turned over tables and made a lot of people very angry. Okay, so let's get into it. Verse 27. They arrived again in Jerusalem, so they've gone back. And while Jesus was walking in the temple courts, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders came to him. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked. And who gave you authority to do this? Jesus replied, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. John's baptism, was it from heaven or of human origin? Tell me. They discussed it among themselves and said, well, if we say from heaven, he will ask them, why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, they feared the people, for everyone held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. Jesus said, neither will I tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. I want us to think about why we live the way we live. Where do we get our values from our sense of well this is right and this is wrong our sense of this is what matters in life and this doesn't where does that all come from because no no matter who we are we will have that sense of this is right this is wrong this is important this is not important these are our values the way we live and that doesn't just come from nowhere we like to think we're islands don't we that we're kind of cool individuals who can kind of assess everything in the world and I make my own decisions I have come to a reasoned decision as to why this is right and this is wrong but the reality is we're not islands we value what we value and we think what we think and we do what we do because we live in a in a network of voices that speak to us about values about what's right and wrong what life is about We value what we value and we think what we think and we do what we do because these voices shape us in different ways. If you stop and think about it, there are so many voices in our lives that shape us, that speak to us about life and how we should live. From, I don't know, in the morning, switching on the radio and hearing about the latest celebrity scandal or a discussion about... Um, politics or something like that, to opening up Facebook and seeing your friends' little Facebook rants about the NHS or whatever it is. Those are kind of voices. They're telling us things about life. Or our discussion with a friend we have about the next career move we want to make. Or the staff room discussion about um, management and how much they suck and uh, rubbish and all that kind of thing. They're speaking to us. Perhaps it's um, a song on your iPod and you get on the tube and you're a Lady Gaga fan and you've got, I'm beautiful in my way because God makes no mistakes. I'm on the right track, baby. I was born this way. Lady Gaga is a voice. She's speaking to you. Or maybe it's the Metro. You open up the Metro and there's, a, there's an article in there about immigration. Or maybe it's daytime TV. You're a loose women fan and you, you like to have a watch and there are these ladies discussing stuff in life. <laughs> I don't watch it, but I know some people who do. 
Maybe the voice in your life, the voices are the constant pressure to make money or get promotion. That's just a message coming at you time and time again. Maybe what you hear is your friends saying, you, can, you only live once, enjoy it while it lasts. Then there's the discussion you have with, with your mum or whoever it is about that, that relative who's got terminal illness and you talk about what it must be like to suffer that way. There are all these voices, all these discussions, all these things coming at us. Now, multiply those things to include your childhood, what your parents taught you about what's right and wrong, whether that was for the good or the bad. Add in your entire lifetime of conversations with family, friends, strangers, teachers. Add in all the films you watch, the music you listen to, the newspapers you read. Throw in culture's values that are ingrained in us from childhood. And you begin to realize there's this massive web of voices and ideas that influence us and the way we think and live in the world. And if we're at all shaped by these voices, which we are, and if any of them make a difference to how they live, how we live, which they do, here's what those voices are to us. They're an authority. You may not have ever thought about it that way, but they're an authority. Let me define authority for us. This is going to be important for this sermon, okay? An authority is a voice that makes a difference in our lives. An authority is a voice we hear that actually shapes us. It makes a difference in our lives. It's had an authority over us. Now, it's not a bad thing that we have all these voices in our lives speaking to us. I'm not saying that. It's how we are. We're human. We're connected. We're not islands. But things start to get interesting when Jesus comes along. Because when we encounter Jesus, there is, without fail, a clash of authorities. A clash of voices. Because Jesus isn't interested in being another voice among your many voices in your life. He isn't there to be another column in the metro or another friend who's giving you advice. He comes along to our network of voices that shape us and influence us. And he makes this giant claim over it all. This is, this is the big thing of the message of today. Jesus wants to be the voice that makes the difference in our lives. He wants to be the voice that makes the difference. He says, I should be the biggest, the definitive, the loudest, the most listened to voice in your life. And you should weigh up all these other voices that you're hearing against mine. How do you react to that? To that gigantic claim of authority? And as Christians, what do we do then with all these other voices that do shape us with How do we fit that with Jesus' voice if his is meant to be the voice that makes the difference? Well, in our passage, we're going to see a clash of authorities kind of acted out before us when Jesus encounters this other set of voices. So first of all, let's recap what's going on in chapter 11, okay? And I want you to play a game of spot the authority. So first thing that happened in this section is Jesus has ridden into Jerusalem, the capital of Israel, the royal city, God's city, place of authority. And he came with this grand victory parade. I don't know if you remember. He came as the long-awaited, long-promised Messiah, God's king, sent to rule God's people and lead them to victory. Like the Olympic victors on the the open-top bus, he, he came in. And the crowds were effectively shouting, long live the king! This is an authority-pumped scene, if ever there was one. Next, Jesus goes to the heart of the city, to the temple. 
He's in there and he's turning over tables. He's driving people out. He's outraged because the temple was to be a place where all people could come and worship. And they made it into a place where only a few people can come and they kept people out. Jesus comes to what is called God's house. The place where God was supposed to live with his people as they lived for him. And they ruined it. He comes to put God's house in order. And God's house isn't just about this temple, this building. It's much bigger than that. God's house is God's people. Remember God's vision that he would have a people who he would live with and they would be his people and he would be their God. But they twisted that. And Jesus thinks in that moment when he goes in the temple and starts driving people out and turning over tables, he thinks he's got the authority to put God's house in order. Imagine if I came to your house, your flat, your room, and started putting it in order. Sorting it out. What a messy place this is. It's dirty. It's filthy. I'm done any washing up. Your pictures. Are you one of those people who hates when pictures are slightly off? I'm going to come in. I'm going to put them all straight. You'd say, who gave you the authority to come into my house and start tidying it up? Now, God had put a group of people in charge of his house, in charge of his people. He'd given Israel leaders who were supposed to have authority, delegated authority from God to care for his people, that they would live and worship him. They had a kind of mini-authority to lead God's people from God. How do you think they felt about Jesus coming in as the king to put God's house in order? Well, we find out how they felt. Go back to verse 27 with me. Here's the clash of authorities that I talked about. They arrived again in Jerusalem, that's Jesus and his disciples, and while Jesus was walking in the temple courts, back to the temple, the chief priests, the teachers of the law... And the elders came to him. So these are the leaders of God's people. See the clash. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked. And who gave you authority to do this? Who gave you the right? What authority do you have to say you're the king to put God's house in order? Now when they ask, who gave you authority? They're thinking about God giving authority. Because only someone with the authority of God, can come in and sort out God's house. Right? That makes sense. They're asking, did God give you this authority, Jesus? I don't want us to be fooled by these leaders, okay? Go back to verse 18. These guys have an agenda. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this. This is Jesus turning over the tables, establishing his authority, and began looking for a way to kill him. For they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. They've got an agenda. They want to kill Jesus because they feared Jesus. Why did they fear Jesus? Because the crowd were amazed at Jesus. Jesus had command over the people, a kind of authority, and he was being the voice that makes the difference, and they felt threatened by this. Their mini-authority was threatened. Jesus was criticizing them. And if they can get Jesus to say, yep, my authority is from God, I'm a godsend, I'm a, I, I'm a person from God, they can get him on blasphemy and have him killed, which is what they want to do. So they're trying to get Jesus just to plainly say, yeah, I'm from God. I don't want you to think they simply misunderstood Jesus. Well, they had their authority and Jesus coming along. No wonder they're upset, poor things. No, no, no. It's not that they don't realize that Jesus is God's king. They absolutely get it. That's why he's worth killing. They get it. Many authorities get antsy when ultimate authority comes along. 
That's what we're seeing. Because it's a threat. The people were amazed at Jesus' authority instead of theirs. Do you ever wonder why the world won't just accept Jesus? Maybe your, your friends, your family, he's like, Jesus is just amazing. He's so lovely. He's so good. He's, he performs miracles. He's so kind. Why don't people want to follow Jesus? The problem is that we're not neutral. We are not neutral about Jesus. We're people with lots of mini authorities, little voices, little crowns that want to call the shots in our lives. And so when ultimate authority comes along with the ultimate crown, our mini authorities don't like it. We're not neutral. We've got these voices. We're wanting to go the other way. And most of all, we don't like it. We've put on this mini crown. I know what I'm doing. I'm going to live in God's world my way. I'm the voice that makes the difference. And so Jesus comes along and says, no, I'm the voice that makes the difference. And we say, well, who do you think you are? Who gave you authority to tell me how to live my life? I'm the master of the fate, my fate, the captain of my soul. Who are you? That's how the Jewish leaders felt when faced with the divine authority of Jesus. And I think that's how we feel. In fact, I know that's how we feel. Okay, let's look at Jesus' answer to their question. They're threatened by Jesus' authority. Let's see what he says. Verse 29. Jesus replied, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. John's baptism, was it from heaven or of human origin? Tell me. Now, at first glance, it looks a little bit like Jesus is dodging the question. Well, I will answer your question with another question, and I will only answer your question if you can answer my question. Deal with it. Yeah, it's like, is he doing kind of word tricks with them to just try and dodge saying who he is? I don't think he's dodging. I think he's exposing them. He does two things. He actually answers their question, and we're going to see how. And he exposes what's going on in their hearts and their minds. So first of all, let's just have a look at actually how Jesus is answering their question with his question. He basically says to them, guys, go back to Mark chapter 1. Let's go. Mark chapter 1. That's us as well. Let's do it. Page 1002. He takes them back to the beginning of his story. This reference to John the Baptist, it seems a little bit random. Where's your authority come from, Jesus? John the Baptist is what he takes us to. Okay, have a look at Mark 1, verse 1 to 3. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it's written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths upon, for him. That's all about John the Baptist. The gospel's about Jesus, but it starts with John who was sent ahead of Jesus by God, by God, see that at the beginning, I will send my messenger, that's God speaking, he sends John the Baptist to prepare the way. So John's baptizing people, and he's basically got this giant arrow saying, someone's coming after me, someone's coming after me, he's more important than me, he's more powerful than me. So, Jesus' question, was John's baptism from heaven, or was it human? Was he just this crazy guy ranting in the desert, Or was he actually a messenger from God? Answer, from here, pretty clear, he was sent from God. So what's Jesus' point? How does that answer their question about Jesus' authority? If John is sent from God, and Jesus is more powerful than John, then Jesus must be from God too. Let me explain this. Imagine you're um, 
at a football match, like a, like a school football match, and you're standing on the sidelines cheering on little, little Jimmy, little Jimmy, little boy running around. And um, you, you, you're cheering them on, and then you realize there's this guy standing next to you who's got kind of, he's got Arsenal kit on. He, not like a football kit, but like he's, a, he's clearly staff. He's, he's a coach at Arsenal. And he leans over to you and he says, I'm scouting for Arsenal. I'm the assistant coach at this club. And I have the authority to pick any of these boys to come and join our academy. He's sent by the club. He has the authority of the club. And he's just the assistant coach. Change scenario ever so slightly. You're standing there watching little Jimmy play. It's Arsene Wenger next to you, the coach of Arsenal. And he leans over and goes, I'm Arsene Wenger. I'm the coach. I'm the coach. And I have the authority to choose anybody for me. Thank you for my French impression. Now, does Arsene Wenger have the authority to pick any kid for the, for the academy? Yes, absolutely. If the assistant coach had the authority to do it of the club, you can bet Arsene Wenger, the head coach, has authority. If John the Baptist, the messenger, had the authority of heaven, you can bet Jesus Christ, the king, has the authority of heaven. That's Jesus' point. In fact, when... John baptizes Jesus. God makes it really clear. He says, this is my son, <laughs> whom I love. There's no doubt Jesus is sent from heaven. And I want us to have no doubt. Make no mistake. If you're trying to work out who Jesus is, and you hear all these things about him being a teacher or a wise man or all these different things, make no mistake. He is claiming to be divine, sent from heaven with the authority of the creator of the universe. So Jesus answers their question. Let's go back to the passage, Mark 11. So, so he takes them back to John, and that should answer their question if they just do a little bit of thinking. But we also get this glimpse into their thinking. He lifts the lid with his odd question on what's really going on with this authority clash. So let's look at their response in verse 31. They discussed it among themselves and said, if we say from heaven, he will ask them, why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, they feared the people for everyone held that John really was a prophet. So the religious leaders go, okay, guys, huddle, huddle. Well, we know what happened with John. If we say John had the big authority from God, then Jesus will say, well, why didn't you believe him? Why didn't they want to admit that John had the authority of heaven? Because if they, didn't be, if they believe John, then they're going to have to believe in Jesus. And they do not want to believe in Jesus and bow to him. If they admit the assistant coach had the authority, they're going to have to admit the coach has authority. And they don't want to do that because many authorities get antsy when ultimate authority comes along. Many authorities have to take back seat to ultimate authority. And they don't want to take second place. So what's their other option? Guys, huddle, huddle. If we say John was of human origin, then the people aren't going to like us because they were pretty convinced that John was from God. Verse 32 tells us what their motive is. They feared the people. For everyone believed that John was a prophet. On the one hand, they're driven by the fact that they definitely, definitely don't want to bow the knee to Jesus and say he has authority. On the other hand, they're driven by the fact that they really want to be liked by the people. So verse 33, we get their answer, and it's a rubbish answer. We don't know. Yes, they do. 
This is such a politician's answer. They do know. They just don't want to face the facts. They don't want to admit it. They're driven by this desire to, to be, have first place over Jesus, and they're driven by the desire to be liked by people. And so Jesus isn't going to give them a straight answer either. So he says in verse 33, Well, neither will I tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. It's plain to see who Jesus is. They don't want to admit it because they don't want to submit. So Jesus is exposing. Do you see what he's exposing? They are not neutral about Jesus. They were not going to hand over authority to him. And Jesus isn't going to let them run God's house anymore. He doesn't want them to be the voice that makes the difference over God's people and how they live. He's going to be the voice. Jesus lifts the lid on what's really going on with this clash of authorities. And I want to let Jesus now lift the lid on what's really going on with the clash of authorities in our lives. Remember what we said at the beginning. An authority is a voice that makes a difference. Our lives are full of voices that make a difference to how we live. Husbands, wives, boyfriends, girlfriends, family, friends, authors, musicians, politicians, the list goes on and on and on. What Jesus exposes about the authorities of the people of Israel, he also exposes about these authorities of our lives. We need to see the voices in our lives are not neutral about Jesus. They are not neutral. None of them are. Every voice that wants to make a difference in our lives is in one of two camps. Either they are a voice which happily says, yes, Jesus is the king of kings. He is the voice that makes the difference. Listen to him. Or they're a voice that, like these leaders, says, I don't want to hand over ultimate authority to Jesus. I want to be the voice that makes the difference in your life. The natural inclination of every voice, including mine, is to not want to believe in Jesus. It's not like we're in the middle and this is following Jesus. This is going against him and wanting our own authority. We are all walking this way. All of us. So let me ask you, are the voices that shape your life voices which love King Jesus? Or are they voices which would hate to admit that he is actually the King of Kings? Now, Jesus isn't here calling us to be monks. You'd be very pleased to know. If you were sitting there thinking, Phil, are you asking me to be a monk? I'm saying no. This isn't a withdraw from the world, shut off all the voices, put in earplugs and retreat so you never hear any of these voices. No, God's given us a world to live in with voices to listen to. And there's wisdom because we're made in God's image. But he is saying this. If you want to live in God's world, God's way, in his house, Jesus has to be the voice that makes the difference in your life. And to all the other voices that you hear, ask this question. Is what they're saying going to help me honor God? Or are they actually calculating like the Jewish leaders to push away from Jesus? That's what you should ask of my voice. That's what you should ask of this sermon. Is what Phil's saying chiming with Jesus? Is it saying that, is it acknowledging that he's the authority or is he pushing us with his own authority? You should always ask that question about every voice we hear. Okay, what does this look like? What does it look like to listen carefully and wisely? 
it might be that you need to think carefully about the values and wisdom of your family. Because I think that for a lot of us, that's quite a major voice in our lives. Your family may be Christians, they may not be Christians. But Christian or not, there'll be things that our families say or hold to which chime with the voice of Jesus. That we can say, yes, that, that is under him being king. But also there'll be things in all of our families and the way we do things, the way they value, the way we do things, which means that Jesus being the voice that makes the difference means we have to say, no, I can't follow that. And we also need to be aware of the unspoken messages we hear that are shaping us. The values of our friends, the values of our colleagues. What do they do, the people around us we spend our days with? What's important to them that's different to the voice of Jesus but might actually be rubbing off on us? But also, and this is maybe harder to spot, there will be larger cultural trends that will clash with Jesus' voice. The kind of prevailing views in our society about what we should or shouldn't do, what's important, what's not, views on what it means to be a human, or what family is, or, or, all sorts of things, everything. The, the, what I mean is, you know, the kind of things where says, people say, well, oh, everyone believes, mm. everyone thinks, mm, don't they? And you think, sometimes that clashes with what Jesus says. And this can be tough because I think society is a loud voice, really loud. So when the volume of our culture is turned up, it's extra hard to hear the voice of Jesus. So we need to turn up the volume on Jesus' voice. He's given us his word. We've got it. So if we're hearing these voices from society and there's this kind of, everyone believes this, don't they? We need to go, well, what does Jesus say? Because his voice is the voice that makes the difference. What does Jesus say about humanity, sexuality, the economy, about politics, about community? What does Jesus say about work and about money? Because his voice is the voice that makes the difference for Christians. Now remember, we're, we're talking about the house God built. And I said that the house of God isn't just this building, this temple. It's not that anymore. It's the people of God. It's the church. So the church is God's house. So this, this kind of gathering is the place where we come to turn up the volume on Jesus' voice. We want to let Jesus be the voice that makes the difference in the globe church, which is why we're always opening the Bible our sermons are not going to just be going along with the prevailing winds of culture, the things that are popular. We want to fill our ears every Sunday with the voice of Jesus so that we can think carefully and listen wisely to the voices in our lives. And some things we'll be able to look at the voices in our world and say, yes, that fits with what King Jesus is saying. But there are going to be things that we have to say, we can't accept that. Because his voice is the voice that makes the difference. See, the question isn't, do we have voices that shape us and make a difference in our lives? The question is, who are they? Who are you listening to? We should seek close friends that are going to help us love Jesus more. We should seek husbands and wives who are going to encourage us to listen to Jesus as the voice that makes the difference. And most of all, we should, all of us, prize his words, the Bible, to be the loudest voice in our lives. 
as we finish, I just want to take a moment to ask, what kind of authority is Jesus? What's his authority like? Because the sad reality is that most ultimate authorities in our world are abusive. Often, power equals abuse of power. And so we're wary of, I'm talking about one person having ultimate authority over our lives. That can sound scary if he's like everybody else who has power in our world. Think about it with me, though. The one who wants to rule your life didn't ride into the city on a soldier's horse or on a military tank. He rode in on a donkey, humble. He went to the temple and opened it up for people to come and worship God. The one who wants to guide God's people doesn't rule with an iron fist, but with hands that bear the scars of sacrifice where he went to the cross to rescue us from this life against God. The one who claims to make the difference doesn't coerce us with manipulative words. And some of us will know what it means to be manipulated. Jesus doesn't do that. He values truth and honesty and he speaks plainly and lovingly to us. That's how he rules us. The one who calls us to humble ourselves before his throne doesn't crush us with his sheer might. But he left heaven and walked to the cross to save us. The one who demands today that he wears the crown of our lives had a crown of thorns twisted and shoved into his head to save and forgive us for stealing his crown and living our own way. Jesus has the royal authority of heaven to rule God's house and his coronation was the cross. He's the one who wants to rule our lives today. Let's pray to him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you, you do speak clearly to us, that you are a kind God, and you, you tell us plainly about ourselves and about who you are. Thank you for sending your king. Thank you that his voice is good. His voice is wise. His voice is gentle. His voice is powerful. And it is true. And I praise you that we have his voice in the Bible. And I pray so much that you would humble us by your Holy Spirit to bow the knee before King Jesus. Lord, we confess our sin. We confess that we have tried to live our own way we have taken the crown on ourselves. We've listened to other voices above yours. You're our creator. You don't deserve that. We are sorry. But we praise you that you love us. We praise you that you rescued us. We praise you for Jesus who went to the cross, the king who died, the king who served. Lord God, may we listen to your voice above all. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing a song that is an opportunity for us to bow the knee before King Jesus, our good, gentle, loving God. So we're going to stand and we're going to sing King of Kings. Sing.